Good morning. Turning your scriptures to where we were last week, Mark chapter 10, and we're going to springboard out of that passage into our passage for today. Here in verse 43 of Mark chapter 10, we read, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when we read this, we focus on being a servant, and we actually spoke on that topic last week. But there's an interesting thing here, is that Jesus does not tell them not to seek to be great. What he says is, if you want to be great, this is how you are great in the kingdom. If you want to be first, this is how you are first in the kingdom. God wants us to be ambitious in our service. How do we do that? Where does the power to do that come from? I'd like for us now to turn to our passage for today, Philippians chapter 2. And I want us to set up the context of what we are looking at, a very well-known passage And I kind of come trembling this morning because uh, so many sermons, so many wonderful sermons have been preached on this passage. And so I'm, I'm a little nervous, to be honest with you, coming to this point this morning. There's something else going on right now. It's the Tour de France. As a matter of fact, right now, there's over 100 people riding their bicycles toward Paris, They started on July 1st, and they began there to move. I think they were in the Netherlands when they left to start on this 24-day journey across France. And they have ridden thousands of kilometers during that period. And today, it culminates with the winner of the yellow jersey. If you're not into cycling, that is... What every cyclist would dream to do is to wear the yellow jersey. But you probably don't understand that cycling is a team sport. Only one person wins the yellow jersey in the Tour de France. But that person could never win that jersey if it was left up just to him. It takes a team effort to accomplish that. So this one person has other people who are riding for him, protecting him from the wind, uh, protecting him from other riders and obstacles in the road, bringing him food and water. Everything about the team is centered about getting this yellow jersey to Paris in the fastest time. Well, yesterday there was a time trial And that's where it's mano a mano. It's one rider riding against other riders. And whoever finishes the course the fastest wins the time trial. It's the race against the clock. 
And in this, there was your teammates are racing against you to see who can win that particular stage. Uh, but at the same time, the yellow jersey is trying not to lose time as he is racing during the time trial. So that means that you could have a situation where your teammate is beating you even though you are the leader. And the beauty of yesterday's time trial was there was a, a racer, a Wout Van Art, and Wout had been working all the whole tour very hard to do some incredible things to help Jonas Vintegaard. I can say his name correctly, but he's the holder of the yellow jersey right now. Wout had worked all that time to help his teammate win the yellow jersey. So then yesterday, Wout went up the climb of the time trial and he got the fastest time. And he was sitting there in what they call the hot seat, waiting for all the other riders to come through. And whoever is leading the Tour de France, the yellow jersey is always the last person to start the final time trial. So as Jonas started the first, the climb, the last person, Wout was in the hot seat. And as he got closer and closer over this long, 45-minute long time trial, it was coming down to mere seconds. And if Jonas just really buried himself, it was very possible that he could make it and win the time trial and also hold on to his yellow jersey. That would have been a feather in his cap to be able to do that. But you could see him as he was coming up, just meters left to go, Jonas kind of shook his head and he smiled and he slowed down. He crossed the line, still holding the yellow jersey, but Wout Van Aert won the stage. And as they were interviewing Jonas afterwards, and Wout, if you ever see him, he's a kind of a big guy, he was crying. And they were interviewing him, you know, why are you so emotional? And he said, this is a wonderful team. I had a dream that I could win this stage and that Jonas could be in the yellow jersey. And I could sense what he was basically saying was, Jonas gave me this jersey. When he came around and he could have won the stage, Jonas thought about all those times that Wout had helped him through the Tour de France. And he didn't push as hard as he could have. And so he won the yellow jersey and his teammate won the stage. And as they were interviewing Jonas afterwards, he said, these men are my friends. I know they're my friends. We have suffered together. We have worked together to accomplish this goal. And the interviewer said, so you could say that you're brothers. And he said, yes, we are brothers. And that's the team working together where even the yellow jersey, who was the first amongst the team, was willing to give something for the team. The team was built around him to accomplish a goal but even in accomplishing that goal, he gave. 
That's why before we get to the passage in Philippians chapter 2, this very well-known hymn of the humility of Christ, I'd like for us to go into chapter 1 and begin reading in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened at anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation." And that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here have that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or deceit, but in in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being bound in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Yamba Visma team is going to be celebrating as they ride into Paris this morning. They're going to be rejoicing. They were rejoicing yesterday after the conclusion. They were joyful. They were excited. And part of that excitement came from being a part of that team. They were of one mind. And what Paul is telling these folks in Philippians, people that he loved, how often in the book of Philippians does he talk about how they bring him joy? And that he says, I want you to make my joy complete. How could they make his joy complete? By being of one mind. So as we consider This hymn of Jesus, we can't separate it from the fact that it's in the context of us being on the same team. It's all about us being of one mind. This isn't just a beautiful passage about Jesus. 
This is about you. It's about me. It's about Subaru Baptist Church. It's about how we live together as a team. That is so much, so much greater than a Tour de France cycling team. An eternal team working with one mind. So as you consider the excitement and the joy of that team winning the Tour de France, we have so much more to be joyful about. But I want you to consider that instance that happened yesterday. How this one person that all the team came together to accomplish a goal for gave, gave up something that he could have had because he cared for those who were working with him. And we have an example that's so much greater than that. The example of Jesus. So I'd like for us to look at humility's joy. When we think of humility, we often don't think of joy, right? You know, it's one of those things where they say, you know, don't pray for patience. God may teach you the lesson. Don't pray for humility. Where could God lead you? But I want us to see this morning that humility is a wonderful thing. Humility is not something that we should seek to just take as it comes. It's something we should aspire to. It's something that we should have ambitions for. We should seek to be great in the kingdom. But the way we are great in the kingdom is through humility. Humility is a wonderful gift of God. So let's joy in it. First we see that joy is the joy of assurance. Humility brings us a joy of assurance. And I would say here, the point to be made is know who you are. Where do you see that in the passage, Jonathan? Well, let's start off by looking at the first part of the verse, where it says, Be of this mind, uh, live this way, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Now again, hearkening back to Mark, it isn't saying don't ever have ambition. It's saying don't have selfish ambition. Subaru Baptist Church The members here, we need to be ambitious. We need to be ambitious about growing God's kingdom in this body. We should be ambitious about seeking one another out to help to grow in this wonderful thing. What does it say there in the beginning? What does one mind look like? It stands firm. People of one mind strive side by side. They're not frightened. They're encouraged by Christ. They comfort through love. They're guided by the Spirit. They're affectionate, sympathetic, united, selfless, 
and outward focus. We should be ambitious for these things. And we should be ambitious about seeing those things in our teammates, in our brothers and sisters here at Subaru Baptist Church. And when we know who we are in Christ, we can begin to have the power to do so. So as we consider not being selfishly ambitious, not being conceited about ourselves, basically not seeking our own greatness, we need to consider Jesus. And we see that in the verses to follow, where we see that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. That doesn't sound like humility, but it is the beginning of humility. Consider Jesus. Jesus is God. It says here, though he was in the form of God, and in our minds we get the picture, okay, we're, we're working on something like jello, <laughs> and so you have a mold, and you pour the stuff in, I guess jello stuff and when you do that if unless you're like me it hardens and you flip it over and you pull it off and the jello takes the shape of your form and so we say well you know Jesus in the form of God don't fall into the trap of thinking that this means that he was like jello he, he had the form of God, but he wasn't God. The wording here is actually the opposite of that. He was in the form of God. When you looked at him, when you see Jesus, you saw God. He is the form of God. He is the very God. There was, there's nothing duplicitous about him. What you see is what you get. Jesus is God. So when it says here he's in the form of God, it's basically saying, here is your mold. Here is God. He is God. So here's Jesus, God. There's no one above him. He is as high as you could be. He, was, he is as great as you can be. And what does it say? He did not count equality with God, being God, a thing to be grasped. Now again, when we have this picture of someone grasping at something, maybe you've been in an argument before, and when you're arguing with someone uh, and they're winning... And so you're like, well, I don't want them to win. And you start coming up with these kind of on-the-edge arguments. What do people say? <laughs> say, well, you're grasping at straws. Or maybe you're swimming and you're going down a swift river. You've fallen out of your, um, your tube and there's the water's taking you away. And as you're going by, you see a limb and you reach you're grasping out at that limb. You're just, it's just out of, you just want to reach it and grasp it and hold on to it. 
because you don't want to get swept down the stream. Jesus doesn't have that concern. (laughs) It isn't that Jesus even had to think about grasping. It just, he was God. He is God. It's, It's not something he even has to consider because it's who he is. Jesus is confident, if I can say this reverently. Jesus is confident in who he is because he is who he is. He is I am. There is nothing that could take that away from him. It is his very being. He has confidence in being God. We think of low self-esteem and high self-esteem. And we think about how does that come about? How do we have low self-esteem and high self-esteem? Well, typically that happens because we are comparing ourselves to someone else. If you have low self-esteem, it means that you are looking at someone or other people and you are saying to yourself, well, that person is so much higher than I am and I can never reach that and therefore I'm going to crawl and die. I'm, I have low self-esteem. There's nothing that I can gain in this world. And then high Esteem, high self-esteem would be someone who's focused on themselves. And people in this world say, well, yeah, you would like to have high self-esteem, but how often do you get high self-esteem? How does the world come about that? Well, you look at other people around you and you say, well, I'm better than they are. I've attained something that they have not obtained. You may even say, I have my own standards that I have created and I have held up to those standards. And therefore, I have high self-esteem. It's in our comparison with others around us. It's in comparison with those standards that we set up in our own lives. Jesus doesn't have that problem. Why? Because Jesus is God. The idea of comparing himself to anyone is just simply ludicrous. It can't be. There's no one to compare with him. But in our own lives, what do we do? We begin to compare. We look around in this church body And we say, well, that person has more friends here at Subaru Baptist Church than I do. And I don't feel good about that. And I'm not belittling the fact that you feel that way. Or perhaps you want to be in a position here at Subaru Baptist Church. And you haven't been given that role that you would really like to have. And it's easy for us to start measuring ourselves and say, oh, well then, what does that do to my worth? People must not care about me. They must not see the potential in me. 
And we began to fall down into this pit of despair. Why? Because we are measuring ourselves to people around us. But the joy of assurance comes from this. It's not who you compare yourself with. It's who are you in. Because this God, Jesus, has given himself to you. And this God, this Jesus, he loves you. Humility starts with that realization that Jesus loves you. You cannot be too low. You cannot be higher. You can have assurance in Jesus. So as we consider humility, I want you to put away this idea that humility is, I'm going to put myself under. I'm going to beat myself. That isn't humility. It's actually pride. Why is it pride? (laughs) Because you're thinking about yourself. Humility is not thinking about yourself. Humility in our gospel context is thinking only of Christ. So no matter what people think about you, you can go to Christ and know that he loves you. Now, Does that mean because he loves you, he's going to lift you up to all the things that you would like? No. If you read about Paul, even here in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and into chapter 4, he talks about suffering. It tells us at the end of chapter 1, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul suffered. But he suffered and he took glory in that. If you go to chapter 3 of Philippians, he talks about this joy that he has in seeking after Christ. Not that I have already obtained, in verse 12, this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So the first joy of humility is the joy of assurance. We are the children of God. What more do you want to be? And that joy of assurance leads us to a joy of purpose. We are to know who we are. Pride comes from self-focus. 
We are constantly comparing ourselves with others. We look down on others, thinking to lift ourselves, but also inflate our perceptions of others' thinking that lowers our worth. This is not the mind of Christ. Jesus is God. That reality is not something he needs to let go of or hold on to. The same thing is true for us. We have the joy of assurance that leads us to then a joy of purpose, to live who you are. At Subaru Baptist Church, if we are to be that team, if we are to have one mind, the first thing we have to do is realize our position in Christ. And then the second thing is we are to live out the purpose that we have because we are in Christ. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. How do we have one mind? We think of each other. We don't think of ourselves. We think of each other. Even this morning, I mentioned as I was coming into this message that I felt some trembling going into this passage. And I would even say, well, I'm humbled to have to preach this passage, knowing all the people who have preached this passage before. But you know what? Even that is pride. Because where was my focus? My focus was on how am I going to present? Where should my heart be? My heart should be, Lord, you have given us your word. And you have a word for your people this morning at Subaru Baptist Church. I'm excited that your word is going forward. Let your word find its way into each person's heart. Let your Holy Spirit convict and move and grow us as your body. That is actually humility. And it didn't mention myself once. If we want to live in humility, we realize that it's all about Jesus. It's not about you. And there's wonderful joy that comes in that. Because then you don't have to worry about how people respond to you. You are carrying out the work. You are saying, I am going to count others more significant than myself. The team is more important than me. And that's not putting yourself down because guess what? You are part of the team. It's growing together. When you are putting others before yourself, you are actually helping yourself. If you're doing it in the context of knowing that you have assurance that you are all in Christ. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. And you say, well, wait, Jesus lowered himself. He became a human. But he was entirely God. 
He never lost the fact that he was God. In the darkest moment, when he cried out, Oh God, why hast thou forsaken me? Even at that moment, he was still God. The joy of Jesus is that he was fulfilling the purpose. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did Jesus come? It's because he is the Son of God. It was the purpose from before the foundations of the earth that Jesus would come and die for you. When Jesus died on the cross, he was fulfilling the purpose that the Son of God, God the Son, that was his purpose. And he fulfilled it entirely. And what was the result of that? This body, this church. And what is the joy that was set before Jesus? It was you. It was his church. Jesus saw what the result of his work was going to be, and he went forward to do it, knowing the joy that he would experience in fulfilling the purpose of God. So this humility, even in him lowering himself to be like a man, putting others before himself, even in that, there was joy because he had a purpose of fulfilling the glory of God. And that is our purpose. That is why we should be of one mind that we could fulfill the purpose. In chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Grow in this. Grow in this humility, this understanding of who you are. Carry out the work that God has for you. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. And why is this? Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That is our yellow jersey. That is our objective to shine as lights in this world. How do we do that? We become of one mind. What is that mind? It's the mind of Jesus. It's a beautiful thing here in the text where it tells us that we have in Jesus this mind. And if you have a King James Version, you may see that it, it worded a little differently. It says, which you also have in Christ Jesus. So, let this mind be in you, which you also have in Christ Jesus. But then here in our ESV, we see that it's worded a little differently. Let this mind 
be in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The idea, the two views of this is that, one, we have it because Jesus has given it to us. The other is, Jesus has given us an example, and we should be like his mind. Translators come down differently on that, but guess what? Both are true according to Scripture. We do have the mind of Christ through salvation, but we also have the example of Christ that we strive for, the ambition that we have, and we should be living according to that in our church body. Because of Jesus' total confidence in who he is, he carried out the Father's purpose. He did not carry out the purpose to obtain greatness. He carried out the purpose because it was his nature to accomplish the purpose, to accomplish and obey the Father. So through this, we come to the final point, the joy of exaltation. We hope in who, hope in who you will be in Christ. So know who you are, the joy of assurance. Live who you are, the joy of purpose. And then hope in who you will be in Christ, the joy of exaltation. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the result of Jesus' humility is that God exalts him. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus fulfilled the purpose of his Father. And his Father exalts him because he fulfilled that purpose. And lets that glory be seen. The God who all, Jesus always was is now seen by all. And the joy of bringing his church to himself is the joy of Jesus. But I didn't look here in Philippians chapter 2 and see where it says that we are exalted. So the example kind of breaks down with Jesus. But there's something special about this exaltation of Jesus. In the Greek word, it's like hyper He was hyper-exalted. He was supreme above all others. There is no way that we can obtain to being God. We never will be. But God used another one of his disciples, the disciple Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And with this we will close. Verse 6 tells us, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. This idea of humbleness carries with it the realization that someday we will be exalted. And the idea with Jesus being hyper-exalted is that he can't be exalted any farther than he already is. He is placed where every eye shall see him. 
But for us, we live in a very sad condition. We live in a time where pride is always pushing on us. We are always comparing ourselves. It is a fight to live a humble life. But in due season, it will all happen. You will be brought to the condition where you will be what you should be in Christ. That can begin even now in your life as you grow in humility, as you grow in Christ, and you see that it's all about Him, not about you. But ultimately, that will be seen when you are with Him in reality. Humble yourselves. God will elevate you. He will elevate you to the place that your longing wants to be. But where will that be found? It will be found in eternity the same way it's found today. In eternity it will be because we will see him face to face. In this life, it is because we see who he is and want to live according to his purpose. So humility in our body brings a joy of assurance. Know who you are. It brings a joy of purpose. Live who you are. And it brings the joy of exaltation. Hope in who you will be in Christ. Gospel-powered humility is living in the reality of Jesus. Do you want to be humble? Forget yourself. See only Jesus. When someone says something to you that lowers your self-esteem, think of Jesus. When you find yourself trying to put someone else down so that you can lift yourself, think of Jesus. Find assurance in your position in Him. Serve the body. Fulfill your purpose. And guess what? You will be great in the kingdom of heaven. You will be first. But only because you put Jesus first and lived your life in humility before him. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus. But we know that it is absolutely impossible to live that example. It can't, it can't be done. So where is our hope? Our hope is in that you have placed us in that position. Through the work of the cross, our sins have been destroyed. They've been done away with. Jesus has done all things, and Jesus is doing all things. We cannot be humble, but you can help us see our position in you. We can see you, and in that, we can have humility. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit would prick our hearts in those moments when we are seeking to go our own way, to raise ourselves up or put ourselves down 
let us turn our mind's eye to Jesus. Father, it can only be done through that work that he has done. So we ask that your spirit would help us to live in the reality of that work of Jesus so that we can be like him, that we can give ourselves for others. We pray these things in his name. Amen.